with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. Today, we'll talk about China's consumer expo in Hainan. It shows the country's determination to further open up to the world. And another massive interest rate hike from the U.S. Federal Reserve will curb the inflation. And now, let's begin with our top story. Hainan Province hosted the second China International Consumer Products Expo this week in Haikou. The six-day expo attracted over 1,000 overseas companies from 61 countries and regions, and more than 1,200 domestic brands also took part in the event. More members of the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, or ASEP, joined as well, and this is marking a 20% increase compared to the first expo last year. Ao Li Yunqi reports. As China's economy grows, consumer demand for products increases as well. This demand is a challenge for some foreign brands that previously replicated their business models from other countries. But at the same time, the emerging demand from younger generation is creating an opportunity for companies to innovate their products to cater to local consumers. Yolanda Chen from Tmall Global says people from the younger generation have a higher demand for natural products. I would say Chinese consumers are actually very smart, and you know their their demands for quality products are fast growing. Now they're really looking for something that's natural, something that's more to their personality. One of the common business models for overseas brands was to outsource their manufacturing to local factories in China, but this model has fallen behind the fast growing demand of Chinese consumers, as the companies need to stay close to local consumers for better product design. Zhou Chen from Tyson Foods says setting up consumer research centers in China is one of the key reasons for the company's success in the Chinese market. Now we have set up three global R&D centers in Shenzhen, Shanghai, and Nantong. These centers are deeply rooted in the Chinese market to study the consumer behaviors. Staying close to consumers is considered crucial to keep the business thriving. Many foreign companies choose to deepen their investment in China to compete with the fast-growing local brands, but some of them have chosen a more cooperative path with their competitors. French company L'Oreal is one of the top players in personal care products. Despite being a leading company in China's cosmetics industry, L'Oreal set up a venture capital company earlier this year to invest in fast-growing local brands. Fabrice Magerbank is the company's president of North Asia. This is why uh, in May this year we had the launch for the first time Meitse Fang, which is our venture capital company here in China, to be able to co-invest with uh, certain startups or certain players that are actually contributing to build the beauty of tomorrow. The consumer market in China is constantly evolving, and the emerging demand from Chinese consumers is offering an equal platform for both local and overseas brands. But the opportunities may be only for those that are willing to cater to the consumers. 
That is Li Yunqi reporting from Haikou. For more on this, join us on the line now, uh, Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So Aina, first of all, it's a consumer expo time again in Hainan. And this year, the global economy is entering a slowdown among the new stress from the COVID, from inflation and debt. And again, Against such a complex backdrop, how important is this expo? It's very important. I mean, you start looking at the players here. Japan was the largest uh, pavilion. Uh, they had uh, over 3,000 uh, square meters, and the U.S. was second. Uh, this is showing that developed countries are still very, very much interested in the Chinese market. You also had um, you know, representation from Australia and New Zealand. And so it's not. it doesn't really matter about the politics. People are coming in because they need business. And with a shrinking business um, you know, scenario throughout the world, uh, this is very important because it really represents the opposite of what you see, see happening in many countries where they're erecting trade barriers or they're putting tariffs on things. This is an open market, uh, China's way of saying, look, uh, you know, China will continue to remain open and encourage uh, other companies to take advantage of its large markets. Mm. And Dr. Zhou, you have been to the expo in Haiko. So what's your impression? Yeah, I went there several days ago, and I found that uh, the expo is a really big one because that uh, expo center is uh, a very big one and attracted a lot of uh, different stakeholders to attend that expo. Well, at the same time, the, the weather is very hot. You know, when that is a, a phenomena, we, we found that a lot of consumers on the different kind of uh, persons want to visit that center and they felt it's very hot because not only the weather but also because of so many products provided there in the expo mm, and maybe some enthusiasm right so Aina ASAP members are enthusiastic about participating in this year's expo and we know that ASAP uh, took effect this year and more than 90 percent of the products in the region will eventually be tariff-free. So how does it help the region's export into China? Well, tremendously. There's only one set of rules that go across, and there are no tariffs, as you said, on 90% of the goods. Uh, ultimately, the goal is for our set to do away with tariffs. So if it will form a large common market so that each of these uh, countries can do what is necessary uh, to protect their economies as they see fit. Uh, there's no uh, particular area which you can, uh, you know, you're prescribed or anything like that. It's just you can select those areas which are important to your country, but the rest of it is all going to be tariff-free. So once again, this is uh, aimed at small, medium-sized enterprises, although initially it'll be large enterprises who, who are off the mark. Mm -hmm. the fastest in terms of uh, making uh, money and deals. But, you know, it really, really helps these small entities because they, you know, it's the amount of red tape is cut, the uh, costs are cut. And there are a lot of service providers, including a lot of banks, who are going to provide all the services necessary for them to get to their markets in China. Mm -hmm. And so, Dr. Joe, this year the Expo is more international. As we know, foreign brands accounted for 80% of the floor space and over 60 countries and regions attended. So why do so many foreign companies attended the Expo? What has actually attracted them? Yeah, as we know that uh, the world is under pressure, as you mentioned, there are so many different uncertainties. Well, the RCEP and also, you know, a different kind of mechanism has 
provided us with better protection and expectation of the market. So I think that is one reason we see a lot of companies, not only from the RCEP, but from other countries, want to grasp the great potentials of Chinese market. And the expo, you know, last year is the first one. And this year, the uh, more companies have aware of these kind of uh, opportunities and windows and platforms. So they found that it much be better to not lose the opportunities to be here in the Chinese market in the International Conception Expo here in Hainan. Mm. Talking about the consumption or the big market here in China, how significant is it in driving the Chinese economy currently? Well, it's 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 really huge. I mean, um, 50, over fifty percent of the GDP is now from uh, you know the this tertiary industry, uh, clusters, services, etc., um, and also the products that are coming in. So it's very very important, and especially to China's. Um, strategy of what they call dual circulation, which is to have their internal economy be very strong consumption-based, uh, and then to use that uh, as a basis for attracting more investment, which creates more jobs, etc. So they see this as a virtuous cycle, one driving the other in an upward motion, as opposed to other areas where it's just not clear how they're going to drive their economies. Mm. And so, Dr. Joe, so right now the governments at uh, different levels across the country are offering coupons, subsidies or tax reductions, etc., etc., to stimulate the market. So how can this help? Yes, you know, when they want to do that, they are considering about two factors. The first one is that, uh, you know, the consumers are also uh, in employment. They, if they do not have better salaries, better pay, they do not have much money to spend on the consumption. Well, the company will also help them to reduce the cost of buying something or durable or non-durable. But another factor is that the enterprises themselves, because the enterprises are under pressures, not only because of the, the COVID, but also because of the supply chain issues, the, the high inflation. So the government feel it's much urgent to help those uh, companies, especially the small and the medium-sized ones, to just uh, to endure the system, the systematical environment now. So I think that from these two factors that these help from the government are really important. Mm. And how has the consumption model changed since the pandemic, Dr. Joe? In the past, we talk about the consumption upgrading, but how do you describe it now? Yeah, I think that uh, upgrade is a kind of phenomena. We can not only see that it is a national-wide phenomena, but if we are looking at the possibilities of the platforms, like the e-platforms, we believe that it is providing more opportunities for those areas, especially the rural areas and the villages, for those people, residents living there to have more choices. Well, for the big cities, for the very big city like Beijing, Shanghai, and Guangzhou, those cities, the, the, the consumers there are not only satisfied with the ordinary products and services. They want to try to be better connected with nowadays, like the digital economy or different kind of uh, new fashions. So I think that it's a little bit different from different regions in, in China. Mm. And what about the you know consumption trends in the third and fourth tier cities, Dr. Zhou? I, I think that uh, when we are trying to, to look at that, there are also a lot of uh, differences. If you are looking at uh, the cities, especially in the eastern part of China, maybe they want to follow suit 
of the big cities like the centralized uh, or uh, very big cities, the, the pillar cities, while to the western and uh, the middle region of China, the third and the fourth tier cities, they want to be better, have a better control of their lives, means that they want to use uh, the smart choices, the constructions to suspend their spare time and try to be fully uh, accessed to the different knowledge and the ways of living. I think that's a little bit different according to the places, mm. uh, I mean, in China. Mm. And Aina, so for this year, official data shows that the retail industry has recovered from the slump in May, and retail sales of consumer goods went up over 3% in June. So how do you see the momentum in the second half of this year? Well, hopefully it's going to be very good. I mean, obviously, uh, with COVID and the, the pandemic, uh, there have been supply chain interruptions that have affected supply, and then but there have also been demand because people have been staying at home. Uh, what we've seen, uh, at least what I've seen in Beijing, is uh, the restaurants are full. I've talked to people. They said they're at 110, 120% of where they were last year, um, and they think it's it's really, really good. Um, not last year, uh, 2019. So uh, things are recovering there. It's anticipated that there'll be a tremendous amount of, of uh, demand for travel as soon as things open up a little bit more. And you know, remember, this is this uh, expo deals with things like jewelry, hospitality, food and supplements, lifestyle, you know, uh, goods and regional uh, regional goods, and also luxury goods. So it's very much in a, a niche area. Uh, and these really do are these are all about choices and. Right now, the important part is, is China's uh, disposable income increasing? And so far, it's been okay, despite headwinds with uh, unemployment. Mm. And I know we've talked about the uh, consumption, but I would also like to talk about the manufacturing. The latest figure shows that the profits at China's industrial firms rose by 0.8% in June, compared with a 6.5% slump in May. And industrial revenues have seen two consecutive months of positive growth. That's a relatively big turnaround. But what do the June's industrial profits tell us about where we stand in the supply chain and manufacturing recovery in China? Well, China's unique position. It's still the manufacturing center of the world and almost so many intermediate goods and essential goods, uh, you know, shoes, clothes, etc. These are all still made in China. There is not going to be a rush to make new plants in other places where it's going to be more expensive, where you're facing inflation, uh, worker shortages, uh, higher wages. It just doesn't make sense to do that. So China will continue to occupy that space. And, you know, even though demand overall is expected to go down because of the recession, uh, during that period, it's expected that China will take a large share of the exports due to essential goods, as I said, and, you know, parts that you need. Because when things you have, like cars, break down, you need parts where those parts made in China. So China's uh, looking pretty good. Mm. And Dr. Joe, so some are talking about the relocation of supply chains. But do you see companies relocating from China to other countries like Vietnam or other Southeast Asian countries? I think that uh, it's, a, uh, it's a possible and I think it's a kind of uh, uh, wise choices for certain industries or certain companies because they are sitting for lower expense, like in the lower cost. But uh, if you are trying to compare this transfer uh, in, a, in a historical uh, 
view, you may think that uh, it's a little bit different to, to say that all the industry were transferred from China to other countries because of the low, la uh, low labor cost. Because we know that China is uh, one of the very important manufacturing countries, not only good at uh, certain products, certain industrial supply chains, we are capable of doing a lot of things systematically. So I think that is uh, one reason that most of the manufacturers, they still want to have more innovation instead of just uh, thinking about the cost itself. Well, we're speaking with Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and also Ina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And after a short break, we'll take a look at the U.S. Federal Reserve interest rate hike. Stay with us. Hello, this is Michael Zhang. Greetings from Los Angeles of the Golden State of California. Thank you today for making me part of your team. I truly enjoyed the debates we had and look forward to many more in the years to come. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. The U.S. Federal Reserve has once again raised its interest rate by 75 basis points. This comes after the Fed raised its interest rate by the same magnitude in June. The U.S. Central Bank says inflation remains elevated in the country. Headline consumer price index has remained over 8% since March. So, Aina, the 75 basis points is not a small interest rate hike. So what's your reaction? And why is this another aggressive move? Well, it follows another uh, big series of interest rate hikes. Um, and it, quite frankly, my, my impression is there's no surprise. Uh, the real surprise would have been if they had gone to 100. Uh, it was a possibility. They're feeling very good about jobs, but they're very, very concerned about inflation. That's why they're making these hikes. There's also this long-term issue about how do you re-inflate the, uh, the U.S. economy after uh, the recession. So they're anticipating there will be a recession and that they're going to need some way of trying to get people you know, back into borrowing. But I, I do think it's a mistake. A lot of the demand that we're talking about is on the supply side. And unfortunately, monetary and fiscal policy will not make a, another bushel of corn, nor will it uh, create another barrel of oil. Those will continue to be in shortage. Mm -hmm. But will this kind of aggressive move by the central bank become a new normal? No, uh, they're targeting about 3.75% uh, by the end of the year. We'll see where that goes. A lot of that depends on inflation, uh, factors like war, COVID, etc. So it's unknown. Um, these are targets at this juncture. We don't know exactly going, but we see them moving very, very aggressively. Uh, they're as concerned about inflation and also the recession. So as I said, they have a lot of things on their plate. But they just don't have the tools to address them. Mm. And so, Dr. Joe, so do you have any concerns about such aggressive move by the U.S. Federal Reserve? What will be its impact on the U.S. business and individuals? I think that uh, the Fed decisions are based on the, its uh, independent views about uh, the situation in the United States, the economy. Well, I, I, I mean, that uh, this is helping. Uh, I mean, this helps to reducing the inflation rate. But if it's a normal, entered a normal phase, it will be useless to control the expectations of the market. We can still ex uh, expecting that uh, the 
a Fed interest rate will have some time lag for the real happening to the inflation itself. But on the other hand, when a lot of people, they have to uh, borrow money from the banks, it will give them more suffers from the higher uh, mm-hmm. basic rates. Mm-hmm. So Aina, the major stock indices rallied following this move. So how do you explain the market response? Well, the market response was uh, guarding against a 100-point rise. So, you know, they basically, they, they, uh, they made their positions on the hype, and then the reality, they, uh, you know, it was different than what they were fearing. So that's nothing to do. But I, I would like to follow up on my uh, colleagues' uh, comments. It's not just borrowing, personal borrowing, it's also business borrowing. So when you are pushing this idea of higher interest rates, that means that companies are going to go in and borrow money at these higher rates, especially with, you know, things going down. So the, the, the worse the economy is, the less I want to invest, the less I invest, the worse the economy gets. So it's a downward cycle. That's why they're trying to build up this cushion uh, that can reinflate the system. But there's a real question about the long-term fallouts of this, as you're going to see, uh, you're already starting to see a downturn in the housing market. Um, and you're going to start to see, uh, you know, banks having real issues as when they start uh, trying to collect this money back, especially if it's variable interest rate uh, loans, uh, people aren't going to have the wherewithal. It's also going to affect the stock markets. People were doing a lot with leverage where they would borrow money and increase their you know, the potential uh, profits on stocks. But quite frankly, that also increases your potential losses. If they don't have the money, uh, they're not going to be able to pay it back, and they're going to have some real issues there. And Dr. Joe, so the central bank has uh, emphasized the importance of bringing down the inflation, even if it means slowing the economy. So help us understand the reasons for that, and what is the risk for recession because of this move? I think that, uh, in my understanding, it's uh, kind of signals of the, the Biden administration's as Biden has mentioned several times that the inflation is uh, the one of the most priorities for his administration. So I think that uh, it's, it's maybe a, a signal to, to uh, evaluate whether he is capable of uh, managing the U.S. economy or not capable of doing that. Because this year there will be elections of the Congress and it's a very important one for him. So, Aina, what do you think? Uh, Biden actually said inflation is his uh, top domestic priority. So how will his goal to bring down the prices influence other aspects of his uh, domestic agenda and foreign policy? Well, foreign policy, I mean, he's, I don't know why, but he's been waiting to get rid of the tariffs. They keep going back and forth. There's a fierce uh, disagreement within his administration about whether they should do it or not. Uh, but right now, uh, 75% of the people are the number one concern is inflation. And coincidentally, 75% of the people don't think that he should run again. So he's lost confidence. It's, it's uh, looking right now that uh, you know, the Democrats are going to have a very, very tough time in the um, midterm elections. Once that is gone, if he does not have a majority in the House and Senate, the Republicans will... Uh, do everything in the power to make his last two years inconsequential. Uh, they were doing everything possible to try to set the stage for a Republican president. There will be no cooperation. Uh, the U.S. will continue to go downward in a spiral with no leadership. 
and no willingness to uh, tackle the issues. And so a lot of people are talking about the sign of recession in the United States. But uh, Jerome Powell said he doesn't think the economy is in recession. So, Anna, what do you think? Do you see some sign of recession in the U.S.? The recession is coming. That's not really things. I mean, if you talk to almost everybody except Powell, uh, they will tell you that the recession is 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 coming. That it's <laughs> literally within the next month or so you're going to start seeing signs of that, and that it's the question is really how long it lasts. Does it become something where you have enough uh, downward months that it becomes a depression? Um, it's definitely going to be stagflation, where you're you're having prices rise, but ec- economic activity go down. Uh, once that happens, you're going to st- see a large drop um, in employment. Uh, unemployment is going to become a problem, and then they're going to have to figure out how to do it. So, you know, right now, all the cards uh, for uh, Joe Biden and his administration are about somehow doing something about inflation. So, Dr. Joe, do you agree with Ina? I think that、uh, I agree with him, but、uh, you know, I, I believe that the recession is just a technical, technical word or indicators. So the main question is about what's the cost of of being that, and how long will、uh, the people endure that? I mean, that the United States is not only a, a, a closed economy; it has a lot of relations not only with its own people,、mm. it has a lot of relations with other countries. So the recessions doesn't only mean that bad things here in the United States, but also for a lot of other countries about the debt, about the flows of、uh, the FDI. So I, I don't be- believe it's a good choices for other countries to hear, especially the developing country and emerging economies. Anna, so what do you think is U.S. Federal Reserve's moves impact to other countries, especially the emerging market economies? Disastrous. I mean, their, their loans are in U.S. dollars as the dollar strengthens、uh, due to interest rates going up in the U.S.、Uh, they 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 can't pay the dollars back.、Uh, unfortunately, at this point, it's academic.、Uh, these countries are facing a situation where they're going to feed their people first. Second, they're going to buy energy. The last thing on their mind is repaying debts、uh, that they don't even have the money to do. So, Dr. Joe, besides the interest rate hike, what other policies U.S. Federal Reserve have to curb the inflation? Do you think? I think that the、uh, Federal Reserve's main functions of that is a little bit different from the central banks of other countries, and it's not having so many tools to control the inflation. Maybe it can cooperate with、uh, the the treasuries to stop some of the. Uh, some of the spendings, but I, I still believe it's、uh, too big to stop right now. So I agree with Anna that、uh, when we are trying to talk about the inflation, it should not only trying to think something to do with the monetary, monetary aspect. It's it should consider about the real world, like the supply chain, whether it can reduce the tariffs and other kind of、uh, barriers for the international supply to meet the the demand of the market. Mm-hmm. Well, we're speaking with Dr. Zhou Mi, senior research fellow with Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and also Ina Tengen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.